The first thing that struck me about um, this encouragement or guidance for uh, meditation when I was listening to it um, this morning, today, was where he talked about quite early on in the in the talk. He talked about you know we have such a uh, it's quite common for us to think of one pointedness as the place that excludes and another way of looking at it is to place the mind on the point that includes I really like that because that's what the four foundations of mindfulness are it's inclusive of all four foundations it's inclusive of the body and it's inclusive of the feelings it's inclusive of perceptions and what's going on in the mind so I'd like to open it up if anybody has any questions um, I, I just find this a really helpful uh, talk uh, guidance set of guidance uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, the monastics that we have that come and visit here at Portland Friends of the Dhamma is the step by step pointers and uh, how to tell in taking these steps that you're actually placing yourself, you know, you're placing your foot on the path. You're cultivating uh, the Four Noble Truths. You know, we're, we're learning the skills of liberation. And uh, we're not guessing. And we're not, and we're encouraged not to just follow what what we think and what we like and what we want and what we and resist what we don't want but to include even what we grasp at to see it to witness it this is the path to see it to witness the resistance that's the only way that we can learn our responsibility in making ourselves suffer. And when we see how we do this, how we create suffering, then we can, we can recognize that's not the way to peace, to an open heart. That's not the way to nibbana. That's not the way to liberation. And when we see how we make ourselves suffer, we know how to not make ourselves suffer. And so that emphasis that Lampropasana gives us about cessation, recognizing and realizing the end of the suffering that we're having in the moment, then we know in that moment, we know the whole story, what we did, what we're doing. And this isn't, suffering's not about grief. It's about accepting it and not resisting it. Suffering is not about beating ourselves up or other people in our mind because what's going on it's about accepting that we do this and letting go of those habits 
Letting go of the habit of resisting grief. Letting go of the habit of resisting other people's unskillfulness or jealousy of their skillfulness. Just recognizing that all of this makes us suffer. I'm not doing this. I'm not following you this time. Put our foot back on the path. But we don't, we can't actually wholly recognize the impermanence and suffering until we understand what we're doing that makes us suffer. And we can't understand it until we allow it, include it, allow it to be present so that we can see what's happening. What are we doing? What am I grasping at? What am I telling myself that is not true, that I'm actually believing in? When we're telling ourselves something that's not true, that we're actually believing in, we suffer. And so when we recognize that we're suffering and we're willingness to, we're willing to put our attention on that point that includes the suffering and how we're making ourselves suffering, when we include this, sit through it, be fully aware of it, then we see, oh, I've taken my right hand, I've stuck it in the fire. Oh, oh I'm going to take my right hand and pull it out of the fire. My hand's going toward the fire. That's, that's stupid. Don't do that. Okay. You know, we learn from sitting with and including our unskillfulness, witnessing, not, ad- not suffering over our own misbehaviors, our own mistakes, not, su- not adding more suffering, but actually appreciating that we have seen and recognized, oh, I'm suffering. I can learn in this moment how not to suffer in this particular way. What am I doing? What am I identifying with that's not aligned in truth? What do I want? What am I demanding? What am I saying? And following through with my actions, that's not in line with truth. So anyway, I'll open it up. (laughs) I told you I'd have something to say. If anybody has any questions, I'd do what I can. Um, And uh, just encourage you to listen to these Dhamma talks by the monastics uh, because they have far more experience and, and wisdom than I do, but I will do my best. And just leave the rest behind. So, any questions? Share one point because I find it helpful on this. Can Can you speak up just a little bit? Sure. But when I run to Nisro was up here last time, he shared that the definition of the word for one pointedness in Pali is means two lines coming together, and so in that language, it both meant a point, a point of a spear. 
roads coming together. So there was a gallery in place for a crossroad. That was helpful to me when they put by including and gathering things together. His belief was they should have used the gallery in place translation, not the sharp point translation. Yeah, any reflections, uh, you know, um, as well. You don't have to have a question. Uh, yes? Um, I was uh, uh, struck by a phrase that he used in his talk. He said something about um, be aware, uh, attend carefully to the um, energies and the flow of energies moment to moment. And I thought that was, that was an interesting um, uh, comment, and it, it's it speaks to me because I've been observing my energies, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it seems difficult to find words for those sensations. Those, it's it's difficult, it's difficult, to, difficult find. to find the words for those sensations. Words yeah. for those sensations. Huh? Not that I need words. Yeah. But I'm kind of curious about uh, that. About the dangers of labeling those experiences as they arise, or the benefit of identifying those experiences as they arise. So, in case you didn't hear his question, he's wondering about um, he he benefited uh, from the uh, encouragement from Longpur to pay attention to the energies of the body. This is part of his practice. And he's wondering, do I have any comment about the benefit or the drawback from labeling energies? Uh, So uh, I think the, uh, for myself anyway, uh, I I also pay attention to the energies. Uh, I go pretty quickly into the energy of the breath instead of just the a single place in the body. I find that very relaxing. Um, for myself, I don't bother labeling uh, those. I'm not, not that I've been told to or been told not to. But I find for myself, if I, once I start to label, I get stuck in that with that particular experience and I want to I start to think that uh, proliferate around I'm doing this right and I'm or I'm doing this wrong because this is the experience that I've just labeled and I'm feeling really calm so I want to stay with this experience if I don't label I can be much more present with the changing energies which are always changing so that would be my uh, based on my own personal experience, that's uh, that's what I have to say. <laughs> I don't think that everybody's mind works the same, so it may work for somebody to label it to keep them grounded. Because when you don't label, you can also fly off into la-la land. You know, so you want to watch the arising of pleasantness, which does happen as you start to pay, as you start to be... Um, on that point that's inclusive, 
it's it's a very friendly uh, place of goodwill. You know, it includes everything. It feels good. Uh, pity can arise in the body. A joy can arise in the body. And we can start to follow that joy and that pleasantness in a way that then we're actually, again, trying to secure something that we want. This feels good. I'm going to try to keep creating this. But that, too, changes, and it actually ends, and it leads into possibly an even deeper meditation. Uh, so in order to be um, nurturing the uh, progress of meditation for myself, I find it really it, it works for me to not label and... Because I am aware I'm a, t- I'm a person that loves to follow the pleasant, <laughs> to not follow the pleasant, but to allow to include it and allow the ending of that pleasantness, which isn't unpleasant, but allowing the ending of that unpleasant unpleasantness as the meditation moves into another um, process or, or whatever I'm trying to say program (laughs) as it moves as it changes that I can stay present with it does that make sense okay it it brings to mind too kind of uh, the sort of solution that I'm seeking which is that um, paying attention to experiences doesn't uh, you can be open to those experiences alive to their vividness and their and with lucidity without coming up with words. You know, so I think that's a way of being kind of precise about what's happening, but without going the rabbit hole of, of, of going too far with reifying that experience as a, something that's happening to yeah. you right now. Right, and I think also we want to be careful to not hold that perception as truth itself, that I shouldn't come up with words. Because our mind will come up with words, and we can include that. We're just not going to follow it as there's the truth. There's a word. That's what it is. You know, so not excluding the fact that our mind, the experience of our mind coming up with words either. You know, so not even defining there's the rabbit hole. <laughs> it's just like, but also delighting in the fact that recognizing when we do because we will go down rabbit holes we we will start to proliferate the beauty is when that we can also recognize we're starting to do that oh i've gone and we can recognize it by feeling a sense of anxiety which feeds into our you know our a desire to establish this is this is what's right this is what's wrong so it's just like, we don't want to feed that. We'll feel a little anxiety. You feel that little ruffle, you know, that little narrowing down uh, of what's right and what's wrong and what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing. When we feel that, we can actually recall that, you know, we're, we're not, this, this is a little bit of suffering. What am I doing? And let it go or allow it to go. You know, like, oh, I'm. My mind is thinking uh, right now. I don't want it to think. I want to include everything. That's like, oh, I don't have to listen to that either. What's what's the energy? 
bring attention back to that sense of energy and feel how it changes. I was on a retreat once, and I cannot for the life of I've been on a lot of retreats. I can't remember what retreat it was, but and it was just a moment that really helped me anchor my meditation. And um, the encouragement was to, when you breathe in, see if, it, if your energy in the body feels heavier or lighter. There's going to be a really minute change, in, and, you, and our, our brain is going to say, oh, it's heavy or it's light, which isn't really true, but we're, we're trying, our brain's trying to make sense of the change in the energy. So when we're breathing in, and we have to be pretty calm to do this already, but breathing in and then f- just feeling the energetic weight of that breath, and then breathing out and feeling the energetic weight of that breath. And just see what your mind does. It, one person might feel that it's lighter when it moves out. Another person, that person right next door, might feel that it's lighter when it moves in. But that's not the point, whether it is or not. But just following the change. You know, look for the change. Or, or be curious about what's changing in my energy as I'm breathing in and breathing out. That's kind of a, I found that really <laughs> quite a lovely exercise. I'd just like to encourage you to pay attention to where your mind is right now as we fall silent. It can be a very strong habit for us to tell ourselves that it shouldn't it shouldn't go quiet like this. That's gotta be which it's it's not embarrassing for me, but you can think that's gotta be embarrassing. Nobody wants to ask her a question. <laughs> You know, that's just our mind. It's actually not going on for me. Or we could feel like, I, I, I should come up with a question. I don't want to waste this opportunity. I'm not coming up with a question. Just kind of watch. Are we, can we steer, place our attention in a place that even when it falls very quiet, and I, I've opened the floor up for questions, and maybe nobody has a question, and so it falls silent. Pay attention to what is the habit of the mind. It's going to start chatting to you. You know, when we are invited to make some noise and nobody makes noise, the mind has a pretty hard time not making noise internally. And so this is a lovely way to get some insight on what our mind does when we feel we need to fill a void that actually isn't even there. There's nothing needs to happen. And yet we have a habit of thinking that something always needs to happen. You know, so fantastic opportunity to um, witness some small 
habit that we have that isn't aligned with what's actually happening out here, in here, amongst us. I remember years ago, I was probably about, let's see, Dylan, my grandson Dylan, I think he's 13. So I think he was about five years old. And I had taken him once or twice a week for five years <laughs> and uh, and I felt very close to him and as I do all my grandchildren upon this particular day I'm not sure what set him off which is common for uh, children can be set off in a way that we can't understand sometimes but I was piling him into the car we were going to go off somewhere and I didn't recognize that he didn't want to go. It was like, and I was doing this for him. So I thought, anyway, we were going, I was going to take him, say, to the zoo. And, uh, and he really wanted to hang out at my house. And I didn't pick this up. And so we get in the car and I buckle him in. And he starts to kick the back of the seat. And I'm like, what, what, what is up when, Quit kicking the back of the seat, Dylan. Let's go and have a good time. And, he, and all of a sudden, he just screams, I don't want to go to the zoo. I hate you. <laughs> I, was like, I was so crushed that he would say that to me. I hate you. And I and it just it it woke me up to the fact that I wasn't paying I wasn't really present uh, with him, and and uh, I was I felt at the same time that I felt that it really hurt my feelings it really hurt because he had never said this to me before um, so that really hurt. Uh, but then it woke me up to the fact that I wasn't listening to him and I was trying to do something that I thought I was doing for him that I was actually doing for myself. And this is what we do internally in our minds all the time. Our, our ego, ha our egoic habit of trying to establish itself through what we want and what we don't want kind of hides behind what we think is good or bad, right or wrong, which is also an egoic uh, perception. You know, we, we tell ourselves, I'm doing this for, the, uh, for a cause, when actually we're just really angry at somebody's unskillfulness and 
we wouldn't mind seeing them get hurt by our objections. Maybe that will change them. Maybe that will redirect them. You know, we say, we think we're making um, changes because we're trying to manipulate the world out there and manipulate people. But what we're doing is we're establishing ourselves as the right one, the good one, the smart one, the knowledgeable one, the wise one. You know, we, we, and we do this to ourselves all the time. It should be like this. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to meditate in this way because that's the right way to do it. You know. And when we place our mind on that point of where everything is included, we get to witness how we reject how we uh, do not include aspects of reality of what's happening based on our likes and dislikes or our righteousness or our sense of wanting to be the smart one or the um, one with the highest status or whatever it is that we're grasping at. When we see this this is our way out, but we have to see it. And we can only see it when we include the entire experience. Witness how we make ourselves suffer. And so not rejecting that feeling of suffering, but being willing to, to witness it. So we know how we got here, and we can take our attention our foot off of the path that leads to suffering and place it on the path of reality, of truth, of goodwill. Let go of our likes and dislikes, our righteousnesses, our need to be identified as a particular someone. Let it go. And put our foot on the path of inclusiveness and feel the difference just like we can feel a difference in subtleness of changes in our energies we can feel the difference of being placing our foot in a path of goodwill and placing our foot in a path of righteousness back here path of goodwill path that includes all that we do that is beneficial and all that we do that is not I was listening to a Dhamma talk by um, Ajahn Karunadamo and I would recommend everybody listen to this Dhamma talk I thought it was fabulous I found it very beneficial, and it's uh, it's called it's on compassion, and I think it's its newest one. It just came out. I was listening to it last night. I couldn't sleep, so sometimes I put a dhamma talk and on and slip it under my pillow, <laughs> and then I'll I'll fall asleep. <laughs> Maybe not a good habit, but then I then I feel like I'm absorbing it <laughs> anyway. But anyway, the, um, so I, I listened to it last night, and then I listened to it again in the car. And I was really, I was struck by how 
how simply he he talked about compassion and and uh, you know this a natural sense of compassion arises when we're dwelling you know when we we're dwelling in goodwill as opposed to a place of trying to identify who and what we are and what we want and what we don't want but uh, this the sense of compassion comes up naturally when we're on the precepts and he said but also needing to include you know that we didn't always live this way so he talks about he didn't actually use those words but that's that I'm just trying to shorten it cuz I've got about 30 seconds <laughs> but he he talked about in just like a really really casual way that you know like we don't kill beans and it brings a sense of safety and happiness both to ourselves and those that are around us they feel safe around us so but i didn't always live this way i killed a number of animals before i recognized that this was the you know wise way to go and i was really struck by that because ajahn krunodama does not strike me as someone that would kill an ant intentionally but he includes it this was part of my life this is what i did when i was uh before i came into touch with the uh buddhist teachings and the training that I, he's now undertaken for like 27 30 i don't know how for many years um but anyway i am now at a time i suggest you listen to that talk it's really really good 